Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we are continuing this morning our Advent series, preparing our hearts in this Christmas season, focusing all of our attention, all of our heart's affection on God's great to, it, to us, God's great gift to us. See, I can't talk. That's Jesus. We get to celebrate his Advent, his arrival, just a little over 2,000 years ago. In part two of our Advent series last week, we looked at two, as I said, divine interruptions because we, we see that. God inserting into people's situations a message, a messenger, something that he wanted to do in someone's life that was unexpected, that was not planned. God often does that to us. We see that in our lives. We had our thing. We knew what we were going to do. We had it all maybe lined up if we're a planner type of person. That's not really me so much, but maybe for some of us. And, and God often will interrupt us in the best way possible because he has something for our lives that is infinitely greater than whatever we could come up with, whatever thing. And, and it may not even look maybe perfect on the, on the outward, in the physical, in the temporal, and yet in the spiritual and in the scheme of the eternal, God's going, that is good. I have a good plan for, our, for, for your life. And, and for us to just get on board with that thing oftentimes is, is difficult. It requires humility on our part to say, God, not my will, but your will be done. And in these situations that we've considered that these individuals have come to that place of going, God, you do it. You do it. We saw that with Mary last week. God, I'm just your lowly maidservant. You do it. This isn't how I would have done it. I wouldn't have taken the route that's going to require shame, me to live in shame for, for maybe some people in my hometown to, to view my son as someone who was born out of wedlock. But, but Lord, if this is what you want to do for your glory, you do it. And just to see God interrupting, him announcing to uh, last week Mary and Joseph, preparing them for what he was about to do and having Mary conceive the Christ child by the Holy Spirit. And as we considered last week, Advent for Mary and Joseph meant God working in the realm of the impossible and the unexpected, calling them into something greater than themselves, putting them again in a position to face ridicule, and even humiliation so that God's gift of salvation ultimately would be able to come through his son Jesus being born into their family. Now, in part three of our Advent series today, we're going to be looking at two songs of rejoicing that came from two individuals that Luke has already introduced to us in this first chapter of his gospel account. These are individuals who God gave angelic announcements to. The first coming from Mary, which we're going to look at in chapter 1, verses 39 through 56, and then the second is going to come from Zacharias, who we'll see in verses 67 through 79. And just for some context here, after the announcements we focused on last week, the prophetic timeline is drawing closer and closer to the time of Jesus' arrival, his advent into the world, and we're going to see the impact of those announcements, and we're going to see the impact of his advent uh, today by seeing the worship that poured forth from Mary and Zacharias. These songs of rejoicing are going to flow from the, the hearts of these two individuals who are overwhelmed by the power and goodness of God, and the, and the new thing he was about to do as the long-awaited Messiah was about to be born, reminding us today that the first advent of Jesus is still cause for great rejoicing no matter what's happening around us or to us. Because if we're honest with ourselves, our rejoicing is often conditional. It depends on how great things are going in my life or not. If things are working out the way that I want them to or not. Oftentimes our rejoicing is dictated by our circumstances. 
but to be reminded that our rejoicing should be dictated by the reality of who our God is and what He's done, which transcends our circumstances. It doesn't matter what's happening in our lives from that perspective. And so, let's get into it. Our first section here, we're going to focus on Mary's song of rejoicing in verses 39 through 56, but let's begin by looking at verses 39 through 45. Verse 39 of Luke chapter 1, it says, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. So not long after the angel Gabriel's announcement to Mary and Mary's conception by the Holy Spirit, remember Gabriel added to the news by telling Mary that her relative Elizabeth had conceived a son and become pregnant in her old age. We now find Mary in excitement and haste, meaning she just was like, maybe dropped kind of everything that was going on in her life and decides, I'm going to Elizabeth. She goes on this journey, newly pregnant, a potentially 100-mile journey for Mary to go visit her relative Elizabeth. And any of you women who have been pregnant, are pregnant, you know, things aren't always the same in every pregnancy and for every woman, but can you imagine having potentially to travel by foot or on an animal for a hundred miles? Not probably the thing that you'd go, that sounds like a really great thing to do right now. And Mary just like in haste, she's just like, I don't even care. I just want to get there. She's excited. She makes it to Zacharias and Elizabeth's house. And the moment she greets Elizabeth, John leaps for joy in her womb, and we're told that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and Elizabeth can't contain herself. She begins to declare some amazing things led by the Spirit of God. She speaks out with a loud voice, declaring to Mary, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Now, there's no indication from Scripture that Mary had sent a message to Elizabeth to tell her what had happened. So what we're seeing here is the Holy Spirit giving Elizabeth knowledge of things that she could not have known otherwise. And I just love Elizabeth's humility and perspective, considering it an honor and privilege that the mother of her Lord would come visit her. And in that culture, the lesser was always blessed by the greater, right? That it would have been reversed. It would have been Mary saying to her older cousin, man, how blessed. I, I, I feel so honored to be with you. And yet Elizabeth here in her old age is looking to Mary, this young woman, and going, blessed are you, giving her the honor, deferring to Mary in this situation because of who Mary is holding in her womb. Elizabeth knew exactly who Mary was carrying inside of her womb, and even her baby John, who was six months along inside of Elizabeth's womb, heard and experienced joy because Mary was carrying Jesus. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. I, I spoke into this, in, I think, a couple weeks ago, but it, these are reminders to us as disciples of Jesus not to fall into the godless and unbiblical thinking and perspective many have on life in the womb in our 
world that a baby is not a baby. It's a non-life until after being born. John is an infant, a, a, a inside of his mother's womb, is filled with the Spirit, leaps for joy. There's a consciousness, there's an awareness that this child at six months old inside of the womb has of what's going on outside of the womb. Joy, leaping for joy. I mean, it's an amazing thing. Reminds us that we should see life just as our God does. Valuing life from the moment of conception that this baby was a human being in the womb and valued incredibly by God, had a a plan for his life by God. Not once out of the womb, like now I've got a plan for you because now you're alive. No, in the womb, a plan was set forth. The Spirit of God was sent upon Joy was experienced. And Elizabeth knew that this baby was her Lord. I mean, this is an incredible thing. Again, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Elizabeth, looking at Mary, filled with the Spirit, and she goes, That's my Lord. That child in you is my Lord. She felt blessed to be in such close proximity to him, even though he was in the womb. And this had to have been incredibly faith-building and encouraging for Mary to hear. But Elizabeth goes on to say in verse 45, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of, of those things which were told her from the Lord. And I just want to remind us as we consider this that, guys, biblically there is a blessing always attached to belief, to faith. And not in a prosperity doctrine sort of way, but a biblical way. Hebrews eleven six tells us that without faith it's impossible to please God. That he who comes, she who comes to him must believe he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. For us to have the right perspective of our God. Because there are so many people that grow up with the perspective that God really, I think the perspective that so many have is God's waiting for me to kind of get out of line and then get me back into line. Slap me around a little bit. Like, God's just waiting for me to mess up. And yet, biblically, we see that our God is a God who loves to bless, that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, that our faith is exceedingly precious in His sight. And so, when we have faith in God, there's a blessing that that God goes, I want to bless you in that place. And that doesn't mean all of a sudden your $10 becomes $1,000 in your wallet. Especially at Christmas time, we would love that to be the case. Some prosperity, you, you give a, if you give a gift, God's going to bless you tenfold. Like, we don't have any assurance of that in Scripture. That's not a biblical perspective of blessing. But have you ever walked in faith? Have you ever obeyed the Lord because you knew it was the right thing to do. You trusted the Lord. And in your own heart, between you and the Lord, you experienced the the joy and peace of the Lord because, man, God just met you in that place where you were at. That's that's the blessing of God towards you and me. Because he doesn't owe us his peace. He doesn't owe us his grace. He doesn't owe us his joy. He does that because he's a God who loves to bless. Mary was blessed because she believed. You know, Mary likely went to visit Elizabeth wanting to be a blessing and and help to her older relative Elizabeth who was carrying her first child but not realizing that God actually wanted to bless and encourage Mary 
through her relative, Elizabeth, to hear this pronouncement of blessing because of her belief in God and her surrender to his plan for her life, the reminder that there would be a fulfillment of the things which God had spoken to her, that he was going to make good on his word, overwhelmed Mary in the best way possible to the point of bursting forth in worship of God. And we see that in our next section of verses. So let's continue reading in verse 45. (coughs) Excuse me. Verse 40, I'm sorry, verse 46. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And we're told in verse 56, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Because of verse 46, this is what's called in Latin, Mary's Magnificat, if you've ever heard that term before. Her song of praise, because of this first line, my soul magnifies the Lord. And I, I want us, again, just like we need to have a proper biblical perspective of blessing, it's, impo- it's proper for us to have a biblical perspective of what it means to magnify the Lord. Because oftentimes we're magnifying something that's small, right? Any of you as a kid get a magnifying glass and you're trying to look at ants and then maybe you had a little bit of a devious side and you find the light from the sun? That's the wrong kind of magnifying, right? Like, but understand this about magnifying the Lord. We don't magnify him because he's small and we need to make him bigger. We magnify him because many times we don't see him for how big and amazing and powerful he truly is. Magnifying the Lord reminds us to put all the focus on him. And this is where Mary is at with all that follows in this song of praise that's bursting forth from her heart and through her lips. We see from verses 47 and 48 that she recognized that her only place of salvation was found in God. And that also caused her to rejoice. She recognized that even though she was a nobody in society, She wasn't from a royal sort of family. She didn't live in wealth. That even though she was a nobody from a societal level, that God knew her and took notice of her and looked upon her with his divine favor. Recognizing that the reason generations will call her blessed is only because of what God had done for her as a lowly, humble maidservant of his. We see from verse 49 that she recognized that the source of her blessings was God. That the mighty one who had had done great things for her. Because of this, she gave all the glory to the one whose name is holy. We see from verses 50 through 52 that she recognized that his mercy extended to those who fear him. Who had a reverential awe and respect in worship of him from generation to generation, that he has shown his strength, that the proud are scattered by him in their prideful imaginations, that he is the one who puts down or removes the mighty from their thrones and who exalts the lowly or the humble, that this is the kind of power her God has. We see from verse 53 that she recognized that it was God who filled the hungry with good things, that he's good 
and satisfies those who long for him. But that he also sends away the rich empty, the ones who live like they have all that they need and just don't have any room for him. And we see from verses 54 and 55 that she recognized that God was the one who helped his servant Israel who was merciful towards his chosen people just as he spoke to the fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. These things that Mary declares in her song of rejoicing show clearly that Mary knew the character, character and nature and power of her God. See, the, the written word of God had been stored in Mary's heart. The living word of God, Jesus, had been placed inside of her womb, and this song of rejoicing was now the overflow of all that was inside of Mary and the reality that Jesus' advent is coming was near. And I want us to notice here that Mary does not exalt herself. You know, she, Elizabeth doesn't go, blessed are you, and, and, and Mary goes, I mean, I'm pretty great. <laughs> want, my, want a picture or an autograph or something, like... You know, she doesn't, she doesn't point to herself. She's not focused on herself at all. She knew who she was. Again, she was just a maidservant of the Lord, but she also knew who her God was and is. Savior, mighty, the one who does great things, whose name is holy, who is merciful, whose arm is strong who has the power over rulers of this world, who puts down the mighty and exalts the lowly, who feeds the hungry, who helps the helpless and remembers his covenant with his people. Don't we need to be reminded of those same exact things about our God all the time? This is just an amazing song we have recorded for us here all these things again spilling forth from Mary because of the promised son Jesus who was soon to come into the world. But after Mary's song ends, the next thing we see from verse 56 is that Mary stays for about three months. She leaves when Elizabeth would have been in her final month of pregnancy and she returns to her home in Nazareth. Now, we won't be studying verses 57 through, through uh, 66, but in those verses, just to kind of bridge the gap here, Luke turns his attention back to Elizabeth and Zacharias as their son John is finally born, focusing on the rejoicing that took place and John being circumcised and how Zacharias was given the ability to speak again after writing down that his son's name was John and him praising God after his tongue was loosed. But in Zacharias regaining the ability to speak and him rejoicing in verse 64, we now see another song of rejoicing take place, again this time now from Zacharias in verses 67 through 79. But let's start by reading verses 67 through 71. It says in verse 67, now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. You know, just a few months prior to this, we saw that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke prophetically about things that she could not have known. And now after the birth of their son and Zacharias being made to speak again, we now see that Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. And this is another one of those divine interruptions in Zacharias's life where God is going to use him to speak prophetically about the Messiah, Jesus, and his son, John. And here's Zacharias, filled with the Holy Spirit, finally able to speak after 10 months of being mute, 
being moved and led and influenced by the Spirit of God to prophesy. And the first things he declares are praise. In verse 68, he says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. This is what's known in Latin as the Benedictus, because of how Zacharias begins this song of praise with the words, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. And again, we need to know that this is a prophetic song. And it's interesting that as Zacharias' little boy is now born, just was circumcised, there's all this rejoicing that happens, and now Zacharias is finally able to speak, that he does not begin by rejoicing about his little boy. Now, this doesn't mean that Zacharias was a bad dad, that he wasn't excited about being a father, or wasn't a it, you know, overwhelmed with gratitude at this gift from God and this little boy, but that in this moment of praise, again, filled with the Spirit, his perspective was completely in line with God's mind and will as he was led by the Holy Spirit. You know, can you imagine, you know, your kid is born, you know about another kid that hasn't been born yet, and you you finally, you know, you've been mute for a time and you finally start to say something. It's like, oh, how exciting. Oh, man, this other baby. It'd be like a parent going to a game and every time they clap, it's not for their own kid, it's for someone else's kid. Like, what's the deal? John grows up knowing that his dad's first kind of words are not even about him. Jesus was always the favorite. Now, John didn't have any bad attitude towards Jesus. You know, because I, I think if we didn't get like, oh, he was filled with the Spirit, he's prophesying here, we'd just be like, wow, this is a really weird moment for us to be reading about. But this was an amazing thing. In this moment for Zacharias, everything in life paled in comparison with the Spirit-inspired understanding that the Messiah, the Redeemer and Savior of Israel and the whole world was just months away from being born into this world. Zacharias' whole life was leading up to this moment. The expectation of humanity is clear in the life of this priest named Zacharias. Waiting forever, it seemed like, for the Messiah to finally come. When will he come? Will he come in my lifetime? And for Zacharias to understand, man, he, he's about to be here. Like everything in Zacharias' mind was just like blown away and he just wanted to worship the Lord. God had visited his people, Zacharias declares in verse 68. And in Zacharias' mind, by faith, the redemption was as good as done, even though it hadn't happened yet. Clearly, that 10 months of being mute had not been wasted on him. Instead, it banished all doubt and unbelief from his mind. It left him completely in awe of his God, completely confident that whatever the Lord said, he would make good on. Zacharias' song was motivated by the reality of Jesus' soon arrival from the womb out into the world. This wasn't going to be just another baby. This baby to come was going to mean redemption and salvation. See, in verse 69, that term horn represented strength. But a horn was also something in that day and historically for the nation of Israel that would be filled with oil and was the means by which the anointing of a king would take place. So either way we look at this, Jesus was both the strength of salvation and he was the king of salvation that God was raising up into the world. Then from verses 70 and 71, we see that Zacharias recognized by the Spirit of God that Jesus was the one who Old Testament prophets had pointed to. 
the one who the world had been waiting for, who had saved his people from their enemies, and the nation of Israel had had many enemies and still does to this day. But now moving on in verses 72 through 75, we're going to see Zacharias' heart of praise to God because he had been faithful to keep his promises. Verse 72 continues on. He says, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Zacharias understood God did not have to be merciful to the nation of Israel, to his chosen people. He knew just as well as we do that they had rebelled against the Lord, been unfaithful to Him time and again, and yet because being merciful is part of the character of our God, He could not deny Himself but would fulfill His promises of mercy and would not forget His holy covenant. Our God, Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is a promise-keeping, merciful, gracious, patient, loving forgiving, faithful God to his people. Even though we're undeserving and many times unfaithful and even faithless in our relationship with him, but it reminded me of what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, when Paul tells Timothy, look, even when we are faithless, if we are faithless, he, God, remains faithful faithful, he cannot deny himself. Zacharias knew this to be true, personally, because even when he was faithless, even when he was full of doubt, when hearing the news from the angel Gabriel that his wife would conceive in her old age, God never stopped being faithful to who he was and to his promises, even in Zacharias' life. And listen, the same is true for us still today. God is faithful because that's who He is. Have you ever been unfaithful to the Lord and He still did what He was going to do? That happens because that's who He is. That's oftentimes not who we are. We want to be. We pray for that. God, make me faithful. I want to be faithful in every area of my life. But oftentimes, even if all of these kind of horizontal relationships, if, if we can kind of master the faithfulness on this level, that doesn't mean that that translates into our vertical relationship with God. There are moments for us when our faith is not where it should be or could be. Things happen in our lives, and, and sometimes we look back and we're like, man, I wish I could have done that differently. Lord, I wish I could have been faithful to you in that moment. I wish my faith would have been stronger in that situation. But our faithful, uh, sorry, our faithfulness to God does not ever negate his faithfulness to us. Isn't that amazing? Because usually when there's unfaithfulness here, it's like, cool, we're, we're, that's it. We're moving on. Things are going to be severed. Oftentimes, unfaithfulness leads to the destruction of things. But God is so faithful. He's so good. He's so kind. Now, the reference that Zacharias makes in verse 73 of God's oath to Abraham is a reference to Genesis chapter 22, verses 16 through 18. We'll put it up on the screen. But it says there in that passage, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Blessing, I will bless you. 
And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies in your seed. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God there promised Abraham after he was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. God stopping him promised Abraham that he would bless and multiply him, that his descendants would possess the gate of their enemies, that in Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And this seed, speaking prophetically about the Messiah, Jesus, God's promise to Abraham, ultimately pointing to Jesus, the Messiah, was going to mean deliverance from their enemies And the ability and opportunity to serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of their lives, as Zechariah said. This is what the promise of God, Jesus, was going to mean for the nation of Israel and ultimately for all of the world, for as many as will believe in him. But as Zechariah continues his song, in the next two verses, he shifts gears a little bit. He now speaks about the mission of his son John, who would be all about Jesus in verses 76 and 77. Let's read those two verses. Verse 76, and you, child, he says, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. As Zacharias here references prophecies about his son John from Isaiah chapter 40 and Malachi chapter 3, we we see that John's mission and purpose was clear from before he was ever even born. This child's life was to be completely given over to serving the Messiah, serving Jesus, to be the prophet of the highest. And the first aspect of John's calling and mission was to prepare the way for Jesus. But the second aspect of John's calling and mission was to give knowledge of salvation to the people by the remission of their sins. And it was this second aspect of his calling which was what ended up getting him beheaded by Herod as John never shied away from telling people that they were sinners and needed to repent of their sin. But listen, the people needed to be reminded of their sin problem so that they would have their hearts prepared to surrender to Jesus to find the forgiveness which comes only through Him and His free gift of salvation. So John kind of speaks into that prophetically. Look, looking back, these prophecies were actually about my son, but now Zacharias is going to end his song in verses 78 and 75, 79 by focusing again on Jesus, the salvation of his people who would forgive their sins. And so let's read those last two verses there. He says in verse 78, continuing on after speaking about John, through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Because of God's tender mercies. Are we glad that God's mercy is tender? And He could be rough, merciful, and he would still be justified. Like, well, he was still merciful. It was pretty rough. It, I mean, he withheld it, but man, he withheld. Oh, he's tender mercies. Tender. Because of God's tender mercies, light was about to dawn in the darkness. That word dayspring there means sunrise. Jesus, the light of the world, was about to be born into the world, and he would give light and life and hope to those who sat 
in darkness and the shadow of death. And it would be Jesus and Jesus alone who would guide the feet of people into the way of peace. Something only the Prince of Peace could accomplish. And just like Mary's song, man, what an, what an amazing song recorded for us that Zacharias gives in rejoicing of what God had done and was doing. Guys, Jesus, the day spring on, from on high, has visited us. We get to look back upon that visitation. Jesus came to a people who were sitting in darkness in the shadow of death. He came to give light and hope, to bring life and guide our feet into the way of peace. And I just want to remind us this morning knowing that there's probably many who are in a lot of different places in their own hearts, their own minds. Maybe things that people don't even know, but there's stuff that you're wrestling with internally. That if you're in a season right now of difficulty or darkness or feeling like the shadow of death is just sort of hanging over you, this morning Jesus is desiring for us to get our eyes Upon him. He's desiring to bring light into dark situations, to bring life to areas that feel dead, to bring healing where there's hurt and brokenness, to bring his joy and his peace where there's sorrow and heaviness. Understand, Mary and Zacharias had their, their, their Advent songs because their lives had been touched by Jesus Christ. He was the reason for their songs of rejoicing. The, the impact that Jesus' soon arrival had upon them caused them to proclaim openly how great God is and the great things He had done for them. But these songs of rejoicing should remind us that we also have reasons to rejoice today. Because our Redeemer and Savior has come. Salvation is now available by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The light of the world has come to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace, hope, has come and his name is Jesus. He is our reason to rejoice this morning and really every day. And now the worship team come back up. You know, maybe today, for some, the Lord is just wanting to remind us all that he's, you know, wanting to remind us of all that he's done for us. His salvation. His grace and mercy and patience and forgiveness, His faithfulness to us. You know what He desires? Our praise, our worship, our heart, our love in response. And maybe there are some here who know Jesus personally, but who have been wandering into darkness, into sin, maybe for some even, it's not a wandering, you're like stuck there. Maybe there's sin this morning that needs to be confessed to God and repented of. You know, if that's anyone, Jesus is wanting to forgive. He's wanting to restore. That that distance maybe that anyone might be feeling because of sin this morning, that distance does not have to be there. God wants to deal with that thing that's damaging our relationship with Him potentially. If there's anyone that's in that place, maybe even for some, He's wanting to bring you out of darkness and out of the shadow of death, maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus at all. Maybe never surrendered your life to him. Maybe never put your faith in him, making him your 
Lord and Savior. Look at this morning, he wants to guide your feet into the way of peace. You know, I think oftentimes people will think in this world, like, gosh, I can, I'll, I'll find that, you know, guide, guiding the way of peace, but they're thinking that it can come on their terms. We have to remember that Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. None of us can make, sorry, none of us can experience the peace of God until we make peace with God. And that can only happen through humbling ourselves before the Son of God, surrendering to him, receiving his gift of salvation. You know, wherever we're at this morning, if some of us are just going, look, I'm already in that place of rejoicing. That's me. I'm there. I'm just thankful. I'm, I'm grateful. Things are going well. Awesome. This morning is just another reminder of what we have to rejoice for. But there could be some this morning, and you're going, look, like I'm, things have been dark. Things have been hard. Things have been heavy. I haven't felt very hopeful. I haven't, I've had a hard time seeing God's faithfulness. This morning to be reminded that God is for us and not against us. He's not looking for us to just get out of line because he just wants to whack us. He's gracious and gentle and kind. And yeah, he'll correct us. He'll discipline us even when that's necessary. But he wants to use his kindness to lead us to repentance. And if that's anybody this morning and you're going, look, I'm in this place, there's, there's stuff that I'm struggling with maybe even, maybe it is sin this morning for you and to go, look, God wants to deal with that thing in your life. To let the light of Jesus shine into your circumstances, to shine into the struggles maybe that you're dealing with. And if there's confession and repentance that's needed, do what's needed this morning. Confess to the Lord. Repent of it. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't ever have to stay in a place where we're experiencing that fellowship-breaking sort of thing that happens when we're letting sin have a place in our life that doesn't belong. And maybe, you know, you're just dealing with just the heaviness of life. Maybe you've dealt with loss. Maybe there's hurts that you're struggling with and things that you're not sure how it's going to work out and you don't know how you're going to see God's faithfulness in your circumstances. But be reminded this morning that he is going to be faithful to come to him with all your cares and to cast them upon him this morning, knowing that he cares for you. But let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for how you worked through both Mary and Zacharias' lives. God, these things that we read this morning, these reminders of who you are. These reminders of who Jesus would be, who he is. Lord, we, we need those reminders, God. We need our perspective being brought back into proper alignment, Lord, because oftentimes, Lord, our circumstances, Lord, they can have such a loud voice. Sometimes it's hard for us to hear you, Lord, over our own stuff that we're dealing with. But God, will we hear your voice this morning, Lord, clearly through your word? Lord, those that are dealing with heaviness and sorrow and hurts, God, that you bring comfort, that you'd lighten loads this morning. Lord, that you would give your rest 
Lord God, give your peace, give your grace, Lord. Uphold those who are feeling weak and struggling to just move on. Lord, for those that are dealing with sin issues, Lord, God, struggling to find victory, God, would you meet each one? Lord, would you lead them out of temptation? Deliver them, Lord, from the evil one. God, protect them. Shield them, Lord God. Strengthen them to be able to withstand the enemy, to resist the devil that he would flee from them. Lord, to take those ways out when you give them an open door to get out of the temptation before they sin. And God, would you break any sort of chains of the enemy that might be on anyone today? To know, Lord Jesus, that when you said that whom the Son sets free is free indeed, that they would know, Lord, that you've already purchased their freedom. Lord, help them to walk in that freedom. God, if there's anybody here that doesn't first just have a personal relationship with you, Lord, they're still sitting in the darkness under the shadow of death. God, would they see this morning, Lord, that you are a God who wants to save them. Lord, that you're near and you, God, want to do something in their lives. If, if that's anybody here this morning and you're going, look, I, I want to have my sins forgiven. I want the hope of Jesus. I want eternal life. I want to know that my debt's been paid. I'd love to pray for you this morning. Would you raise your hand if that's you and you're going, look, like I want, I want Jesus. I want everything that comes with Jesus. I want his salvation. I want his grace. I want his forgiveness. I want new life. Lord, as we respond to your word this morning <coughs> in songs of praise, Lord, as we seek to rejoice as Mary and Zacharias did, Lord, would our hearts overflow with worship to you, Lord. Lord, not holding back. Lord, giving you everything that you deserve. Lord, and if there is anybody and they were hesitant to raise a hand, maybe they're watching even online or listening later on, God, and that's them and they need your salvation this morning, Lord, would they call out to you, they cry out, humble themselves before you, Jesus, and just recognize, Lord, and confess that they're a sinner and that they need your salvation that Jesus, you are the only Savior of humanity. You're the only one that can set free. You're the only one who can grant eternal life. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus. That Lord, whoever that might be this morning, that they would open their hearts to you, humble themselves and surrender and just say, Jesus, save me, forgive me, cleanse me, come into my life. Make me a new creation in Christ Jesus. Give me eternal life. Seal me with your spirit, Father. Help me to live for you. As we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, as we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says that we will be saved. And so, Lord, meet each one, God, this morning. And, Lord, as we... Sing these songs as we take of the communion elements. We remember, Jesus, what you instituted the night you were betrayed. As we have opportunity to get prayed for by the prayer counselors, Lord, would we just press into you, Lord, this morning. God, we thank you. We love you. We pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.